0: Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. Today I'm going to jump into God's Word. We're still going to be in Philippians. um, And I'm excited to, to bring the Word today. But before we get into the word, I will do a brief, you know, recap as to this church that Paul writes the letter, um, the church in Philippi that Paul writes the letter to. But let's pray before we get started. Father, we thank you. We give you all the glory. Thank you for the great things you've done. Over the past month, we've had numerous, numerous, and I mean lots of testimonies last minute favor last minute open doors we've had marriages we've had a new building it's a safe lord in this season you've concentrated upon lighthouse church you've shone the spotlight upon us and you are blessing us specially we are grateful to you on behalf of every member of this house we say thank you today lord we've come to you alone we've not come to any man we've not come to a phone screen we've not come to an ipad we've not come to a tv screen we've come to meet with you with you our expectations are very high our hopes are high father and i ask lord that our expectations will not be disappointed send a word in season to us O god anoint my lips anoint the ears of the listener breathe upon this virtual space today those who would listen now those who will listen later today those who will listen much down the line oh god that the same grace even with increasing intensity would follow this teaching and this word come on now in jesus mighty name we pray Amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. The church in Philippi, all right? <laughs> Just Before I get into that, the title of my talk this morning is, I am in jail, <laughs> now what? All right? I am in jail, now what? Some of you are like, I will never go to jail in Jesus' name. I rebuke that. I bind it. Just relax. All right, we'll get to that in a second. But I told you that this church was the first church in Europe. This was a church that was planted by Paul under the leading of the Holy Spirit. Paul wanted to go to another place to do ministry, as his passion was. But the Holy Spirit led him to Macedonia. Philippi was a colony, all right, in Macedonia. And he got to this place, met a woman, encountered a jailer, started a church, all right, under really, you know, circumstances that most of us would have said there's nothing much to work with here, started this church, and this church started to grow started by the leading of the holy spirit this what this church was a generous church this was a church that supported paul not just once on multiple occasions it was their habit to send resources to him wherever he was to do the work of the ministry it was their habit to send aid to him to make sure that he was taken care of not because he asked but there was just a grace for giving and so when paul was talking to the, the corinthian church he's telling them look You should also have the grace of generosity. You have all this prophecy that you guys do. That's fantastic. You guys speak in tongues. You guys have the gift of healing. That's awesome. But he said, look, there is also something that's lacking in your midst. You're a mega church. You're a bigger church than the Macedonian church, but they do much more than you. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't add up. So you need to excel also in this grace. By the way, this is how our lives really are, right? When When you look at your life, there are certain aspects of your spirituality that you excel. Some of us excel in prayer, some of us excel in the word, some of us you're you're just a worshiper, every day you worship. You need to make sure that you balance your life in every area so that you're excelling in every area. Just because you're excelling in one area does not mean that you get to neglect the other areas of your faith. Does that make sense to you? All right. Um, and a few years later, after Paul planted this church, he's gone, he left. Obviously, he was kicked out of the city, <laughs> right? As it often is, he goes to other places, ends up in Jerusalem, he gets arrested in Jerusalem after many, many years. He is put on trial in Jerusalem, he appeals to Caesar and he's shipped off to Rome on that treacherous journey in Acts chapter twenty-six or twenty-seven to go and stand trial before Caesar. And while he's waiting to stand trial before Caesar, during this period, he is under house arrest. He is in prison. He's in jail. And he's always shackled, all right, at any given time to a Roman soldier. Um, he's he's free, but he's not free. He can move about a little bit. He can take visitors. He can live in his own house. But he wasn't a free man um, as it was. And so when they heard that Paul, because they didn't hear from him for a while, when they heard that this dude was now in rome he's alive but he's in jail they sent aid they sent a butler to go meet with him and to go look after him and take care of him so that's the foundation of this particular book and whilst you know when this guy comes um, who comes to him with the aid and all that he writes this letter sends this letter through his hands back to the people to say thank you and to tell them a few other things about doctrine and whatnot so that's the background of the letter so I want to jump into where I'm going today. All right. I am in jail. <laughs> now what? Wife and I were talking yesterday about how parenting is very difficult, how as parents, we have a very difficult job. We're not talking about just ourselves, but just in general, because children are different. Every child has a specific set of needs, some more than others, and you cannot use a copy and paste model for every child. And you're responsible for the eventual outcome of this person. God hands you a blank slate, as a matter of fact, not a blank slate, um, an individual with a propensity towards sin, and the expectation of God is that you would raise this person, you would transform this life into a godly child, into someone who is a person of destiny and allow that person to fulfill all that God has made them to be. That's a very difficult job, all right? Um, And as parents, one of the things I was thinking about, you know, meditating about last night was the fact that when you're growing up as a child, your parents protect you. They shield you from reality. I don't know about you when you were growing up, but a lot of things that happened in your household that your parents shielded you from, maybe your parents had to get into an argument, they will try to avoid doing it in front of you, depending on what household you grew up in. Some households, it's free for all. That's okay, too. Um, um, in some families, they'll shield you from the financial troubles they're going through. They pretend that everything is okay. They shield you from, you know, the, the, the evil of men. They, they try to protect you as much as they can shield you from reality really because the truth is that the world can be pretty harsh i don't know about you but i hope you can relate with what i'm trying to say you know your parents i remember growing up some of the things that happened in the extended family your parents just pretended as if they never happened they didn't tell you anything about it they didn't tell you the background as to you just realized that this um distant on uncle or auntie that you used to see you haven't seen them in a long time and because you're maybe six or seven years old, they don't give you context around what has happened. That's what parents do. But the thing though, is that there is a point where you start to make a transition from that protective you know, protection from reality to exposing the child to reality. If you protect a child from reality all their lives and then they're 18 or 17 and they're going off to college and that's the first time they get to experience the real world, they're not equipped. They don't have what it takes to survive in the real world. So there has to be a time when you start to pivot, where you start to, open the door all right to that closed room as it were in in, you know little intervals just to give them a dose of reality um the first dose of reality they probably get is when you're 16 you need to go get a job all right there is no two ways about it no matter how much money i have when my kids hit the legal age where they can work they're going to work all right, it's it's it has to happen because you cannot shield them from some reality, and so they start to open that door, and you start to realize, Wow, life can be a little bit more difficult than we thought. Growing up, it was just daddy, give me, mommy, give me, you know, this, that for most people. And maybe they tried to give you what they could, and what they couldn't, they just gave you a story and told you, You couldn't have it, told you, you know, you, you can't have this, it's bad for you, it's bad for your health. um you can't have new car, toy cars, because it's bad for your health or something. like They give you an excuse to cover up the fact that things are really not going too well. When I was sixteen, I remember um, I was in university, um, and a few months after I got to university, you know, one of my my fer- my parents have had a very good friend who was, who lived in Philadelphia, um, a family friend of ours. I've known him since you know I was young. We actually, kind of like we used to go out on family vacations together with their family. They lost a son, and this son of theirs that they lost at that time was my age um he was literally we're two days or so apart and he was an athlete healthy he was playing tennis you know he was actually a tennis athlete he was playing for um university and he was playing on the on the pitch they were practicing one day and he just went on the bench lay down and he died it was completely tragic and my, my dad called me i remember from nigeria and he's like look you're now getting you're getting older now. These are the kind of things that obviously in the past they would try to shield you from. And you're like, well, I want you to make a trip to Philadelphia, from DC to Philadelphia. Go see, you know, um, call the name of this uncle of ours, not related by blood, but close enough, and go pay them a condolence visit. You know, you, you need, I remember that conversation. My dad was like, You're 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 a man now, okay? You need to you need to be able to do these things. And I'm like, What? This is real. I have to go do that. And that bus ride was the longest ever. I went with my brother. I remember, and it was not fun. Um, that was a uh, exposure to reality. I remember when I left home, also when I left home for the first time, you know, thrown into <laughs> first well, first time I was nine years old, thrown into um, a boarding school, an Air Force boarding school. It was reality hit that was very different because my mom was really nice. My mom was really protective of us. My mom picked you up from school every single day. She had like if she couldn't make it, a driver was there. It was this was this was then I, I had to face this life with people from all kinds of backgrounds where if you keep your provisions in the box, people are going to steal you. And I was like, is this really how life is? Are you telling me that there are really thieves in the world, (laughs) right? It was a shock for me, but that is reality. And this is the reality of us as Christians, because there's also this tendency for us to do this with our faith. As you grow in the faith, there's certain things you need to become exposed to. And this reality is this, is that we all go through difficult seasons. Sometimes I know we try to preach faith. I know sometimes we try to pump up the word of God and confessions, and those are all true. But the truth is that in all that, there are seasons of your life that you would go through that you have no explanations for. There's, there are going to be night seasons, all right? Christians also go through stuff. I remember growing up, there was a show on TV called The Rich Also Cry, all right? Um, Christians also go through stuff. And that you're going through stuff does not mean you're not a Christian. And it doesn't mean that God is not good. It doesn't mean that God is not real. Because sometimes the way we teach is we only teach the positive side. God is going to give you a miracle in seven days. And you're going to see doubles. This is a week of breakthrough. This is a week of transformation. Nobody ever tells you that this is a week of suffering. All right? If I, if I ever said that, all of you are leaving the church. You're like, yeah, this pastor, he, uh, he's wild. He's cursing us. But the truth of the matter is that you are going to go through tough seasons in life. There is no way to avoid that. Any... Anything that I say to you to the contrary would be shielding you from reality. Life happens. Challenges come into our lives. They're challenging seasons, and they are real. They are real. They happen to bishops. They happen to apostles. They happen to the least of us. They happen to the greatest of us. They happen to everybody. I mean, we as a body, the redeemed Christian church of God, just entered a season of utter shock over the past couple of months. You know, some of the events that happen, and we're like, oh my goodness, this is, this is, this is wild. But this is reality for us. This is life, all right? Trying and uncertain times come upon us, sometimes suddenly, sometimes unexpectedly. As a matter of fact, sometimes the very thing that we are expecting to be a breakthrough becomes the very thing that becomes a trying season in our lives. Night seasons exist. And that's why the Bible says that weeping may endure for a night joy comes in the morning that's why the bible says that many are the afflictions of the righteous but the lord delivers him out of them all okay night seasons exist that is the reality we all go through difficult seasons irrelevant to the discussion i'm having today is whether the, the 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 season or the challenges of the season are from the devil Okay, or whether they're from God, because they can be from God, or whether they're from the errors of other people, you know, imposed upon you, sometimes people can make mistakes, or do things that put you, (laughs) you know, into a season of hardship, for example, right? Or sometimes it's your own error, any of those four buckets, but I'm not going to go into that today. But what I'm about to talk about today applies to any bucket, whatever the root cause of the challenges, or the season you are in, what I'm talking about today applies, all right? it applies. Whether you're in the will of God, you will hit storms. Whether you're out of the will of God, you will hit storms. Remember the man called Jonah in the Bible? God told him, go to Nineveh. This guy took off. He was a prophet. This guy took off in the opposite direction. God said, go to Toronto. This guy said, yep, I'm going to Montreal. I'm going as far away from Toronto as possible. And the Bible says he was on a ship. And a storm arose because he was out of the will of God. They had to throw him overboard because he was going to get them killed. All right. But then also, you remember the disciples of Jesus. Jesus himself, Jesus physically in the flesh with them, says, let us, all of us together, cross over to the other side. Let us go over. And he's in the boat with them. And the Bible says that a storm arose. So whether you are in the will of God, you're out of the will of God, sometimes storms just arise in life and if you doubt it read the book of acts of the apostles these guys were obviously in the will of god they were they were you know revivalists the holy ghost had come mightily upon them they were working signs and wonders everyone was marveling at them but then serious challenges hit the body of christ all right herod started to kill people um persecution arose and people started getting killed for their faith and you would say well i, I these are Christians. Why is this happening? It's because sometimes challenging seasons do happen. And if you're in doubt, let's look at the life of the guy we're reading about today, who's Paul. Paul is writing from jail. He's in jail. He's in jail. Paul is in jail. I mean, think about the fact that this guy, from the moment he met Jesus, I know some of us, when you give your heart to Christ, you've probably given your life to Christ like five, six times. I don't know about you, but some of us, like, it was kind of, it was a bumpy ride at the beginning. From the day this guy met Jesus, the day he met Jesus, his life has been 100% God, faithful, consistent, on fire, a fasted man. He suffered, you know, trials. But then why then does he end up in this circumstances? So what would be your explanation for his trials? Sometimes because when things happen to you in your life, you immediately appropriate blame to yourself and say, oh, it's because I haven't been praying so much in this season. Well, you can't say that about Paul. He ended up in jail, right? Sometimes you say, well, it's because I, I, I missed God on this. Well, you can't say that about Paul. He was in the perfect will of God, yet he ended up in prison, right? So, so sometimes these things just happen. He found himself in jail. A Roman cell, a dark Roman cell was his home. Well, not a cell, but like, you know, a, a prison or it was under house arrest. He was in jail, as it were. Can you, how do you explain that? How do you explain the fact that the guys who, the, the very butler, this guy who was sent from Philippi to go take care of Paul, Can you imagine that the church has a meeting? Just imagine, like, we're Lighthouse now. We have a meeting. We say, hey, guys, you know, there's a missionary in a particular remote area of Canada in the (laughs) the northern territories or something. We want to send some money, but we also want to send someone who can serve their family. And this guy says, I volunteer myself. I quit my job. I'll go. I'll go. I mean, talk about dedication. He goes, and he gets to Paul, and guess what happens to him? He falls sick. He's almost about to die. Paul writes that, that the guy who is so faithful in his service, because some of you are like, well, I serve in church. I pay my tithe. I show up early for team meetings. I'm on guest services. I'm on four different teams. Why is it difficult for me to get a job? Why? This is a guy who decided he was going to go serve a man of God in line with scriptures, and he fell sick. He almost died. As a matter of fact, so much so that as soon as he was able to recover and walk again, Paul sent him back, say, look, don't come and die in my house, Okay. Take this letter, go back, tell them I don't need you. I appreciate the gesture, but whatnot. That was this guy. What about Timothy? Timothy was Paul's protege. Timothy was a guy, by the way, Timothy is a guy that we need to study very well because we often overlook this guy, um, overlook him rather, um, and underestimate the capabilities of this guy. A lot of the books that Paul wrote was actually written by Paul and Timothy. So you would see in the introduction, Paul and Timothy. All right, but we give it, we ascribe it to Paul because we know Paul was the brain behind it because he started those churches. Timothy was the guy, Paul says, I had no one like Timothy, he is just like me, just like me, he was a a bishop, all right, the first bishop of the church at Ephesus, he was loved by Paul, he was a man of God, he was a pastor, started pastoring from a young age, all right, this was Timothy, this is Timothy I'm talking about here, and guess what, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and 23, he says, don't drink only water, you ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. I'm like, what? He's sick so often? This is your right-hand man. This is your, your most trusted associate. When Paul writes in the book of Timothy and he's at the end of his life, he, you can see the emotions. He's telling Timothy, please come to me quickly. Come to me before winter. Pretty much, I miss you. I want to be with you. Be with me. Finish everything you're doing and show up because he had a more intimate relationship with Timothy than anybody else. And Paul, the man of God, the guy who raised a a man who fell down from the window and died. You know what it means to fall down and die? It means that doctors, the cause of death will be what? Some kind of trauma? I don't know, something. That's not an easy person to raise. Like if someone was sick and they died, you can raise that one because you know that the internal organs are still okay. Paul went down, fell upon this guy who was dead rose him up and went back and continued preaching that's the kind of guy paul was so are you telling me that paul had not prayed for timothy to get healed i'm sure he laid hands he poured anointing oil on him let the elders lay hands cast out the devil when the guy refused to get healed he said look drink wine (laughs) drink just drink wine that's it just manage your illness it's okay even paul himself had an affliction that he was dealing with people tell us that he had um eye problems all right and that's why he said a messenger of satan you know was sent to buffet me so so i'm I'm saying this to you that the reality of your christian journey is not that 100 every day we're dancing to the mountaintop we are you know we're rejoicing yes absolutely trying times will come and if we don't know this that's why christians get very disappointed quickly that's why a christian loses his faith when he goes through challenges he's like well god is not faithful if god is good Why are things like this happening to me? No one ever told me that. All I heard was that seven days of breakthrough, seven weeks of promotion, and I've had seven weeks of demotion. I've had seven weeks of (laughs) oppression. I'm done. This thing is all fake. No, it's not fake. It's not fake. It's because you heard only one side. And so we need to balance it so that you're equipped to stand. You're equipped to thrive. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that in the later days, that perilous times will come. In other words, we're getting to a season when, you know, Difficult times will come upon the world. Difficult times will come upon the world. So Paul is in jail. And jail here is metaphoric for us, right? Because you're not going to jail in Jesus' name, obviously. Um, But it's, it's, it's a metaphor, and I tried to touch on that two weeks ago, of a trying season or a challenging situation in your life. Something in your life that is not ideal right now in this moment, that is jail. Something in your mind that you would rather not have to deal with, that is jail. Something in this season that you are praying about and it feels like the heavens are brass, that is jail. Something that you've been expecting and you're trusting God and you feel like your whole life depends on it and nothing seems to be coming through, that is jail. Something that you wish you could change you've prayed about it you're not seeing the change that you desire that is jail it might be that you're looking for a job in your field it might be that your marriage is hell it might be that your account is going through hell you know what i mean it might be that your health is in shambles is one thing today and one thing tomorrow and another thing tomorrow you're going from doctor to doctor whatever it is that is less than ideal that's not picture perfect in your life, is jail. And so when I say that I am in jail, now what? It's for you to identify what is jail to you. What is jail in your life right now? You think about it. What is that thing that I've been struggling with that I'm not quite where I want to be? Maybe it's an examination you're struggling with. Maybe it's even your spiritual life. Maybe you're oppressed by devils. Whatever. It is. Maybe it's your mental health that can literally be a jail that traps you. Anxiety, depression. What is jail to you? What do you do when you find yourself in jail? What do you do when you find yourself in a situation that does not seem to align with God's promises for your life? Not not that it doesn't align with scriptures because I've told you, it's perfectly fine from scriptures to go through challenges, but with God's promises for your life, that's, one, that's a different part. That's a part of scriptures that we know so well. I shall be the head. I will never be the tail. I shall lend to nations. I will never borrow, right? You know, all the promises, and that's fantastic. But what, what, what do you do when you find yourself in jail? Because Paul was in jail, and this was his reality. He was praying, I'm sure. This is a guy that said, by the way, Paul said about himself that I speak in tongues more than all the Corinthian church. Now, you have to understand who the Corinthian church is. Those guys were proficient in tongues. They were tongue experts. All right. They spoke in tongues so much that they caused commotion in the church, and Paul had to rebuke them <laughs> for speaking in tongues. Right. And Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, good luck to that prison guard who was always attached to a man that spoke in tongues more than all the or the, the Corinthians. Obviously, that, that, that prison guard is, is doomed, right? But he was in jail. What do you do when you find yourself in jail? What do you do when your marriage is not going the way you expect it to go? What do you do when the things that you thought would be happening in this season, the opposite is happening? What do you do when it looks like you're on a downward spiral, a downward trend, or on a slippery slope? A <laughs> slippery slope. What do you do? What do you do? I want to tell you what you should do, based on what we saw Paul do, because Paul lived this so well. It's unbelievable how well he lived in jail. <clears throat> unbelievable. The first thing you must do is you must stay on mission. Now, listen to me very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. You must stay on mission. Okay? And the mission is simple. We preach Christ, and we advance his cause. Let's, let's, let's not get into the, the, the other stuff. Preaching Christ, advancing His cause, must happen, irrespective of what your circumstances are. Because look at Paul. Paul is in prison, and um, let just think about this. Hmm, excuse me, sir. We're thinking about executing you any day now. Okay, you're going to show up before Caesar. It can go. It's a fifty-fifty-fifty chance that you're going to be executed. Now, guess what? If that, if those were your odds, I wonder what you will do. And Paul is like, yeah, no worries. Now, can you give me some? pen and paper I need to write some letters to the church Um, oh I'm not writing by the way to tell them to pray that I'll be delivered I'm I'm writing to establish doctrine in other words it's like I never heard that I was going through challenges like it never happened (laughs) like seriously that's what you want to do right now you literally can't show up before Caesar tomorrow and the day after that your head will be chopped off and what you want to talk about what you want to focus on is writing epistles letters to the church In Ephesus, establishing doctrine about our work, about our wealth, about our warfare. That's, That's what you really think you should be doing right now. His ministry suffered no setback by his circumstances. He was preaching Christ, and he was advancing the cause of Christ, irrespective of what he was going through. And I need to say this to you. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. And I'm not saying this because I'm insensitive. I'm saying it because it's the truth. There will never be an excuse not that, that would suffice before the Lord as to why we cannot preach the gospel and why we cannot advance the cause of the, of the, of the Lord. There will never be, because we've seen people in Scripture in far worse circumstances than us who advance the cause of the gospel because their consciousness was that irrespective of what's going on around me, I might be in jail, but... The mission must continue. Guess what? All of us, huh, this should scare you because it bothers me. All of us will stand at the judgment seat of Christ with people like Paul. So while, while I go there and say, Lord, you know what? Uh, God, are you familiar with Ottawa's winter? You know how the snow was coming down. It, we, we couldn't really do a lot of prayer meetings. Then Paul shows up after me. <laughs> and this is the guy who was writing letters from jail. And Jesus is probably like, you step aside. I need to address that man behind you. That's it. Welcome, good and faithful servant. All right? Judgment seat of Christ is for believers, by the way. Okay? I'm not talking about hell Hello, heaven. You're, you've are you made it to heaven. I, I think a lot of us don't understand that when they call it the judgment seat of Christ. And Maybe I get to teach about, you know, the afterlife and all that stuff at some point. The judgment seat of Christ, it, you think it's only for reward. I know that's what we think. But if you read your Bible very well, you understand that the judgment seat of Christ is also for rebuke yes some of us will have made it to heaven but still be rebuked <laughs> in heaven i don't want to be rebuked in eternity for christ's sake like i mean that makes no sense you show up and a man like um john the baptist shows up behind you and you're like um pastor you know jesus the internet connection was really bad so i couldn't log on to service and john the baptist is like look i had no internet i was preaching in the wilderness you look at my garments <laughs> right we would all show up at the judgment seat we will stand with these guys these same individuals who will stand with some missionaries who came to remote parts of the world gave their lives for the sake of the gospel we will stand with them on the same line to be judged no excuse ever for why we cannot be on mission listen listen to me carefully and this is not to say that i've got no right because there are days and seasons when i haven't gotten it right But pastor in this church, I've gone through seasons where I wanted to give up. This is a fact. I'm not telling you something just to make up. There's seasons when you're looking like, oh, my God, how do I make it through the next four or five days? And the only reason why is you remember people like Paul who were in jail and (laughs) nothing stopped the mission. Nothing stopped the mission. Whatever. If you're breathing. As a matter of fact, if you're comatose, you're not dead, you're in between, you're comatose, even your state of coma should advance the kingdom of God. There is nothing that would ever give us an excuse as to why we cannot do more, why we cannot further God's kingdom. We find ways around everything. Paul said, fine, you can shackle me, I would write letters. Guess what? Those letters is what we're reading today. Imagine the eternal impact of the letters that Paul wrote. If he was in prison and he was talking and saying, look, uh, look, I'll just take this time off. I'll just relax. Um, whatever happens, happens. At least I've run a good race. But he was like, no, there's more that can still be done. And for many of us, when we go through challenges, we say well, our, our immediate excuse is that I cannot, I cannot serve God because I need to get my life in order. That's utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. It's, it's a convenience. It's a, it's, a, it's a theology of convenience that we adopt because we are weary. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't take care of yourself. You obviously should, obviously, right? Get 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 right, get counseling, get support, get everything you need to get to get right. But I'm saying that when we do that, the first thing we think about is you know what? Let me just drop everything that I'm doing that has to with be God. Because right now I need to really focus on me, on me. I'm like, what does that even mean? That's not a Christian thing to do. Christians are the people that they beat, they whips them <laughs> in the square, whips them. Said never again. Don't ever speak in the name of Jesus. They didn't even go home to nurse their wounds. They immediately went to a prayer meeting. And what they were praying for was boldness to continue the work. I know that your calling might be different. And what God has put upon your heart to do might be different. But whatever God has put into your hands, if it's come from God, nothing should ever stop that from progressing. Because we must stay on mission. So you're you're in a jail cell. Metaphoric, whatever your circumstances, you're struggling to find a job, that's not the time to say, oh, you know, when my life is in order, then I'll, I'll, I'll serve God. Because people say that all the time, you know, when, when God takes care of all my needs, when I'm married, I'll serve God. And you realize when you're married, that you have less time. Oh, when I have children, I'll serve God. When you have children, you have even less time. But the truth is, mission must continue. Mission must continue to advance. No situation will Ever be strong enough that you will get a pass from Jesus Christ? It will never happen. Anyone who tells you that is deceiving you. You say God understands. I'm sure God understands. Yes, God does understand, but God does not understand. God does not understand why His Son had to die on a cross for people who will be unreasonable in reciprocating. He does not understand. He does not understand. God is not saying you should not be okay, but God is saying to you that you must have a heart that even in your darkest moments even if all you can do to advance the cause of the kingdom is that on your bed at night you're praying for a church you are praying for souls to be saved you're interceding for a family member to be saved though because i'm not talking by the way about just service in church like you join a team and all that those are that's an expression of service but that's not all that there is to service as a matter of fact if the only service you render to god is what you do in this church i'm worried for you Yeah, a lot of the things you must do in service to God must be behind the scenes. No one would ever know between you. Even your wife would not know it's between you and God. The days where you spend time praying for somebody that God just put upon your heart, or you heard that this particular person is in a backsliding state, and you're interceding day and night for that person, that's service to God. That matters something to God. Do you know what I mean? So it's not just about, oh yeah, let's come, let's carry chairs. let's do. No, no, no. Those are expressions and that's fantastic and you should please continue to do that. Dream Team is the best team. Shout out to all the Dream Teamers and all that. But beyond that, it's the things that are not even seen that you do. You will not get a pass. You know? It, it, you know and this is one of the reasons why the enemy uses challenges to derail Christians because he knows that if he hits you, and that's what he tried to do with Job, by the way, don't forget. If he hits you, with some challenges in life, he knows that you will immediately back down. You will immediately crawl into a, <laughs> you know, into a shell and your, your fervency will be impacted. And it happens all the time. How many people start out well? How many people, I remember when we started this faith journey together, me and my friends, we all were you know, on fire, on fire, on fire. And then over, 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 the, over the course of time, some people, due to the blessings of God upon their life, they fell off. Some people, because of challenges that they face, they fell off. But we are hardened. Listen, we are hardened followers of Christ. One of the things I had to decide when, I, you know, not even when I started, along the line of pastoring this church, when I hit really challenging times and seasons and that in the middle there at some point, was I, I said, Look, I'm a hardened follower of Christ. If I die, I will die knowing that I have given my all. I remember one day my wife and I had a conversation and she was like, you know, is there anything that you want to do in life? And I said, like, no. I said, no. I said, if I die today, I know I have given everything I know how to give with my level of understanding at the time to what God has called me to do. I would have no regrets about anything that has to do with my calling or what God has put upon my heart to do. None, whatever. And I want to live my life that way every day. And next year and the year after that, I never get to a place where I feel like we have fallen off. We've abandoned the thing that God put into our hands. And what has God put into your hands that is suffering right now? What is the thing that God has put into your hand that's an abandoned project and is being overrun by weeds because you are too distracted with the challenges that you face? Sometimes the challenges are actually to help you focus. Paul would never have written some of these letters if he wasn't in prison because he was always on the go. There is always opportunity to advance God's kingdom in everything. And I said it to myself, I said it to the devil. I'm a hardened follower of Jesus, hardened like a hardened criminal if you put the screws to me i will serve god more so you better leave me alone so i can serve god less if you make my life more difficult i will i will serve god with more intensity there will be a direct correlation between the challenges that i face and how i serve the lord so if you want you can continue whatever attacks you want to throw my way nothing will ever change will ever change ever change how we feel about god i heard a story about a man who was a pastor. He went on a mission uh mission field with preaching in certain places and he got a call got a call that his wife had just had a miscarriage she you know got a call from home wife has had this is a man of god man of god (laughs) accurate man of god and he obviously was like he was about to tell his host okay i'm going to cancel the next couple of nights i need to go back home and be with my wife and his wife called him and said don't come back she was being wheeled into the, the 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 operating theater she said don't come back finish that mission finish that mission, finish that mission. And he was strengthened. Finished the mission, obviously came back. They were an emotional wreck, cried, wailed. Then picked up again. And the next day we go, we move. We are hardened followers of Jesus. That's our our hashtag, hardened followers, hardened followers. In fires and storms, Christ must be preached. Come rain, come shine. He must be advanced. His cause must be advanced. You know, we have Christians that, or inactive followers of christ anyways today passive they confess jesus and that's okay but they do nothing to advance his cause completely passive we have those that are active but they become passive in seasons of challenges and we have those that are active and remain active even in season challenges you need to be in that latter category where no matter what happens you stay active the challenges of the night seasons will not be an excuse for us the first thing you do like i said is stay on mission the second thing you do is you don't lose hope because when you read the book of philippians you see paul saying that i know that this will turn out for my deliverance i'm hopeful i mean i'm in a challenging situation but i'm hopeful sometimes as christians we lose hope let's just be honest you lose hope how do i know you've lost hope you've stopped praying about that issue you've lost hope you've lost hope you've just said look whatever god wants to do god wants to do It's fine but paul maintained a positive disposition saying i i believe that this will turn out for my good hopefully i'll be with you again soon he says things like that so you can see that he's not in a hopeless state Sometimes when we speak to Christians, and and it happens to all of us, when you're beat up over an issue repeatedly by the enemy, you get to a place of hopelessness. You lose hope. You lose hope. I want to say to you that do not lose hope. If you're in jail, now what? Do not lose hope. Do not lose hope. Why? Hope is the starting material for faith. Hope is the starting material for faith. If you've lost hope, you've lost more more than hope, by the way. Hope is the starting material for faith. And if you don't have faith, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Obviously, with faith, we obtain promises. With, With faith, we inherit territories and all that. So there's a lot of things that faith does for you. But if you don't have hope, you cannot have faith. The thing about hope is that hope is not all positive because hope means that there is doubt. Hope means that there is a challenge. You don't hope for something that is there. You know what i mean if you can't say if you have money in your bank account now you can't say i'm hoping that when i go to the atm the atm will give me 20 dollars because you know that there's money there if you don't know that there's money there and i don't know if you've ever been in that place before where you swiped your card in a place or you had to tap your card in a place where you weren't sure that that transaction was going to fly where you had to hold your breath um some of you that you've never been through to stuff you don't understand that feeling i've been in situations all <laughs> right in my life um my hood days and days when You are hoping that this transaction will go through. Have you ever opened, logged into your app, hoping that you do not see some things that, you know, some accounts, some transactions not post at a particular time? You don't hope for things that you're assured of. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So Paul was was not assured that he was going to come out of jail, and he was sure. He actually said it. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, it's possible that this goes the other way, but I still keep my, my hope. And that's how you must live, that even if God... Even if God does not do what it is that I'm expecting, I have hope to the very end. Like Abraham, the Bible says that contrary to hope, in hope, in other words, he was hopeless, but he still hoped in hopelessness. So in your hopeless state, just maintain an iota of hope about the possibilities that can exist from your situation. It's a spectrum, by the way, because irrespective of the outcome, it's okay. That's the thing about Christians. We never lose. And I've, pr- I've taught you this before. We never lose. This thing you're trusting God for right now, this circumstance situation where you are, God forbid it's not going to be your situation, but let's assume it remains forever. You have something that is valuable. You are, you, we've been taught as Christians to abound and to obey, to, have, to, to do well when we have nothing and to do well when we have much. So if I never get my dream job, it's okay. Not to say that it's the will of God, but I'm saying that Paul, Paul was pretty much saying, look, if I die, it's fine. But I have hope that I will live. Okay, I'm trusting God for whatever it is that you're trusting God for in this season. If God does it, I'll be grateful. If God doesn't do it, I'm still okay. There is a hope in me that has nothing to do with my circumstances. That's why the three Hebrew boys could say to Nebuchadnezzar, I said, look, look, listen, King, You know, you don't know who we are. We are hardened. We are hardened. Look. Our God is able to deliver us from the fire. That's hope. And we know that he will deliver us. That's hope. Nevertheless, if by any means, because he's a sovereign God, he does not deliver us, that's okay too. We are completely fine either way. Only Christians can speak that way. Because the worst of circumstances for a child of God is still okay. We can thrive we can thrive in any circumstance, and thriving is not about the, you know, the 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 the, the car you drive and you know <laughs> how big your garage is and how big your master bedroom and master suite. No, 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 that's not thriving as far as a Christian is concerned. It's the state of your soul and your spirit. You can have much and lose your peace. There are people who have eight bedroom house houses but need medication to fall asleep. Do you understand that? And that's not wealth. Wealth is about the state of your soul i wish above all things the bible says in 3 john 2 that thou might be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers so if you have money and you're prospering any other way but your soul is not prospering that is not prosperity that's what i'm trying to tell you hope is important the bible says hope is the substance okay faith is the substance of things that are hoped for so you cannot have faith if you don't have hope The third thing you must do, the first thing I said is what, you stay on mission. The second thing is what, don't lose hope. The third thing is what, don't lose your joy. Don't lose your joy. When you read Philippians, a prison epistle, as it were, about 14 times, Paul makes reference to joy. I'm like, you are in jail, bro. Fam, how can you be talking about rejoice? Or, oh, I I, I rejoice over you every day and my joy about you. I'm like, you are in prison. How can you have joy? In prison, 14 times in four verses, four chapters, rather. Joy, 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 joy. Don't lose your joy. Don't lose your joy. Do not lose your joy. Creating me a clean heart, O God, the psalmist says, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation joy is an asset you have you will never understand the value of joy there's a difference between joy and happiness a joy and- <laughs> i remember this um it's a joke but it's real i remember when, when my wife and i just got married the first six months of or so of our marriage um she had this habit she would just come to me sit down and say um are you happy i'm like in fact, I'm I'm very happy. I didn't know marriage could be this sweet. This is the best marriage ever. Fantastic. Oh, awesome. And then I observed that she's expecting me to ask her back whether she's happy. So I, I make the mistake and say, Are you happy? She goes, no, I'm not happy. I'm like, What? How are we living in two different worlds? I mean, like for me, I'm like, I thought that. But I guess, you know, when we come into marriage, we have all these ideas about what marriage is going to be. All those movies, Hollywood movies with, you know, linen clothes on the beach, running around, chasing each other. Um, sometimes marriage is just, let's watch TV, all right? Let's have some fun. <laughs> I remember those days were very funny. So I stopped asking her she's happy because I was like, I, I, can't, I can't deal with this um, <laughs> this dichotomy. It's ridiculous. So like, you're happy. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm so happy. Oh, this marriage. God blessed me with this marriage. It's is a fantastic marriage. And here she is. She's dying. don't understand that this guy is a madman. Anyways, God had to help my soul. <laughs> that was hilarious to me. But yeah, so the point I was trying to make is that happiness and joy are different. Different. Um, happiness is tied to happenings and events. Joy is tied to an event. Salvation. Say that again. Happiness is tied to happenings. All right, should be good now. Oh. What about now, camera? All right. Sorry, guys. I think we got caught up for a second there. Okay. Hope you guys can hear me well. Sorry. I think we got tra- we got caught up for a minute there. Um, perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Caleb. Thanks for setting that up again. Um, so I was saying to us the difference between happiness and joy. I said that happiness is tied to happenings and events. Joy is tied to an event, salvation. All right. I said to you that Happiness is transient, it's fickle. Something good happens, you're happy, you laugh, you have fun, always tied to something. Joy is a more permanent state and it stays. Happiness is from the outside in, joy is from the inside out, it's from the inside out, it's from a well within. Happiness is explainable. I'll be very concerned about you if you said I'm so happy, Pastor. I'm like, Why are you happy? And you say, I don't know. I'm just happy. That sounds like something that Brandy will say. (laughs) Sorry, Brandy. Happy belated birthday. I'm just happy, Pastor. I'll be worried about you because happiness should always be tied to something. Joy can't be explained. The Bible actually calls it joy unspeakable, full of glory. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Do not let anything take away your joy. If your joy is stolen from you, something of significance has been taken from you. But guess what? The thing about hope is that hope is also the starting material for joy, not just faith. And that's why hope is so important. Anywhere you see joy is because there is hope. If there is no hope, there can never be joy. So when the Bible says that Christ in you is the hope of glory, that makes sense. Because for a child of God, there is always a hope whether it's in this world or beyond this world, that makes us have joy. Hope and joy are connected, indelibly linked. In Romans chapter 15 and 13, the Bible says, Now, the link between joy and hope is that now may the God of hope, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 12, and verse 12, he says, this, that let this hope, this hope, this hope burst forth within you, release sin, a continual joy. You see that? The hope that's in you burst forth, but how it expresses itself is bam, by joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble, it says, but commune with God at all times. I remember the story of David in First Samuel chapter 30, one of my favorite stories in the, all the Bible. Someone, um, David and his boys had just come back from battle. They met their hometown of Ziklag, raided by the Amalekites. Their wives and children taken away. The whole town burned to the ground. Rubble. All the whole, the entire place up in smoke. And the Bible says something happened that David and his men, they broke down. They wept until they had no more power to weep. Stay with me. Stay with me. In that moment, In that moment, something had happened to them. The men of David became hopeless. They wanted to stone him. That's a sign of hopelessness. You know, (laughs) maybe one day I teach about hopelessness. They wanted to stone the guy that they called their leader. Their joy snuffed out. And the Bible says that David is an amazing guy. What a guy. The Bible says David did something. He strengthened himself in the Lord. In other words, his strength had left him. Because don't forget that the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah teaches us, is your strength. Joy gives you spiritual strength. David strengthened himself in the Lord because that, that event zapped everything and the spiritual strength had left him. Strengthened himself in the Lord and said, let's consult with God. And then he took off after the, after the people. When you lose your joy, you will lose your strength. Yes. Joy is the source of spiritual strength as a matter of fact let me say this to you spiritual strength has many sources on some on some of those sources you might be low but still have spiritual strength if you have no joy you have no spiritual strength no you cannot rise up within yourself to do certain things joy is like gas in a car there are a lot of things that make an engine powerful all right they put like torque in it they put like you know cylinders horsepower oil grease the engine the engine is. Spanking new. You buy like a Mercedes S500 or something, brand new. The engine can do amazing things. It's strong. It's powerful. That's like the state of your spirit. You've been praying, you've been fasting, you've been tuning yourself up, you speak in tongues a lot. All the spiritual disciplines that give you spiritual strength, you do them. But if that engine has no gas, that car is not going anywhere. That's what joy does. Joy is a source of spiritual strength. And so when anything attacks your joy, you are at risk. You need to immediately deal with that situation. Whenever you fall into a state of depression, you are very vulnerable, not just from the depression, but from a lot of other things, because you will get hit by the enemy. You will have no strength within you to respond. And I've been in seasons of my life when I had completely lost strength, where I just said, you know what, do whatever wants to happen. I'm, I'm okay. I'll take it. But I can't even fight back because I know I didn't have it in me. And then I needed people to come and help me, strengthen me, intercede with me. I've been in those seasons of life. Never lose your joy. Sixteen times in four chapters. That's what Paul did. He was in jail, but he thrived. Why? He had hope. Why? He had joy. Why? He stayed on mission, on purpose. Nothing should ever slow down purpose in your life nothing. As a matter of fact, when you take moments, stay with me. When you take seasons to relax, and I do that too, and you have to do that. That's a good habit to have. If you run a schedule, you're, you know, know, even God expects you to rest. That's why the Sabbath was instituted. When you take moments to step back from things that you consider to be mission, right? Um, Or your purpose, your life's purpose that God has put in your hands. The reason why you're relaxing is so that you can launch farther. So th- there's a difference. So if I say now I want to take a break for like maybe like three, four weeks, I just want to go, you know, I want to go retreat, I just want to go rest, relax, reju- rejuvenate. The reason why I'm doing it is because I want to be effective in my purpose. It's different from saying there's too much going on in my life right now. I'm just going, I'm going to take a break from it all. Those are two different approaches. So you should rest. But the re- question is why are you resting and why are you taking time away? If it's because you want to sharpen your arrowhead, you want to come up guns blazing, you need that. And you absolutely need that because Jesus did that. Then you need to do that. But we would always be on mission. Listen to me, and I need, one person needs this, and I'm going to pray in a minute. There are certain things that steal your joy. Some of us are just easy candidates for our joy to be stolen. Number one, if you fixate on the things that are not working out in your life, your joy will always be stolen. For everything that's not working out in your life, there's one thing that's working out. Do not fix it on what's not working out. Ingratitude steals your joy. When you forget to stop and give God thanks, your joy will deplete. When you start thanking God and say, I just thank you, Father. I just thank you, Father. The other day, you know, a couple of days ago, we we're driving to Ottawa and we were in a car and we were just thanking God. We we're just worshiping God. We we're just listening to praise songs, just exalted in his name. And joy just filled my heart. For no reason, nothing changed physically about my life, but I knew that I had such a bank account of joy that was completely full. My tank was full. Ingratitude, when you forget to stop and say, Lord, thank you for this and for that and for that and for this and what you did last week and what you did last year. I remember that day when, you know, if you do that, your joy will always be full. Even when you're in prison. Because what what happens most times is that we just say, oh, God, I'm in prison. When am I going to come out of prison? Oh, prison, jail. We give God all the synonyms. (laughs) Prison, jail, you know, arrest, guards. That's all we remember. We fixate on what's not going right. But then God is looking at you like, what about all the other things that are going right? Would you at least remember to say thank you? So Paul starts to say, I give thanks for you always. Really, though, you're in prison? You're giving thanks always? Yes. Ingratitude steals your joy. Oh, holding on to weights steals your joy. Oh, that's what happened to me in 1997. I wasn't selected for um, the literary and debate committee in my high school. It really? This is 2021. Like we've just been through a pandemic. You're still thinking about what happened to you back then. You're holding on to weights, And that's why the Bible says that you need to drop the weights that so easily besets you. Those things will steal your joy. Steal your joy. Steal your joy. False expectations of people will steal your joy. People are not God. Giving people grace would help you to be joyous at all times. Like if you were to hold people accountable to the standard of Jesus, well, you would always have a problem with people. You always be let down, right? So don't engage in things that steal your joy. I'll read one text to you and then I'm going to pray. Say one thing and I'll pray to you. Habakkuk 3 and verse 17. Every one of us, we need to know this text. I'm reading an NLT right now. I usually use it in King James, but this is this is this is this is good. It says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms. The trees are there. There's no blossoms on them. There are no grapes in the vines. Everything is dry. The bank account's, you know, funny. The olive crop fails. I didn't have a harvest this year. I expected that by now, certain things have happened to me. They haven't happened. I'll be married by now. I have children by now. I have this by now. It failed. And the fields lie empty and barren. Empty is one thing, but also barren, though, speaks about future. Even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty, yet, 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 I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in whom the God, which God of my salvation, the sovereign Lord. Is my strength. He makes me as sure footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Learn to live in the moments so that your joy is not stolen. Moments, not moment. Moments. I explain that. Because when you live in the moment, if the present is not going well, then you can go back to the past. Remember the moments of the past and live there and be grateful. Be thankful for what God has done for you in the past. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? If the future doesn't look too bright, well, and the present looks good, well, live in the moment. Now, live in past, present, or future. Anyone that allows you to maintain your joy. Live in the moments. Live in the future by drawing up an imagination and a vision of the future that you see. And if you live there, your heart will be full of joy because there is hope. You're looking to something. You're not saying it's all going to be bad. It's not going to work out. It doesn't matter how bad things are around. God still does miracles. And that's a word for someone. It doesn't matter how difficult things might look in this moment. God still does miracles. Weep may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.